This week's guest has used social media and Marylanders' love for our quirky state flag to build an apparel brand from the ground up. Ali Von Paris took a dorm room project and turned it into a career, and has used state pride as the backbone for that endeavor. We'll explore that story and its fascinating intersection with history and the lessons it may hold for preservationists around the nation on this week's PreserveCast. From Preservation Maryland Studios in the historic podcast district of Baltimore, this is PreserveCast. Before we start this week's episode, I really want to thank you for listening, and I want to ask for your help. PreserveCast is powered by Preservation Maryland, a nonprofit organization that depends on member contributions to fund its work. This podcast receives no government support and currently has no major funder support. Its budget is entirely dependent on listener contributions. I'm hoping you'll consider making a quick gift to help support this podcast, which is bringing important preservation stories to thousands of listeners around the country. Think of us as your preservation Netflix. Any amount helps, and you can make a quick online donation by going to PreserveCast.org and clicking the Donate Now button in the upper right-hand corner. We'd greatly appreciate it. Now, let's get preserving. This is Nick Redding. You're listening to PreserveCast, and today we're joined by Ali Von Paris. At just 28 years old, Ali is one of the youngest and fastest-rising entrepreneurs in the Baltimore, Maryland area. In 2010, while still an undergraduate at the University of Maryland, Allie designed a t-shirt for her friends to commemorate the closing of a popular local watering hole. When demand for the t-shirts spread quickly through social media, Allie decided to begin selling them in line, and soon she had a budding business. What began then as a fun project headquartered in her dorm room is now Allie's career. Today, her company, Route One Apparel, is the premier source for trendy and affordable Maryland Pride apparel and accessories. The company now offers a full line of over 1,500 items that are sold online and retailers throughout the region. Route One Apparel merchandise can be seen sported by local icons and fans of all ages as the Maryland Pride trend continues to gain popularity throughout the state. Allie has received many accolades in recent years, including being named both one of Baltimore's Women to Watch by the Baltimore Sun and Maryland's 50 Very Important Professionals Successful by 40 by the Daily Record in 2017. She was also appointed to the Preservation Maryland Board in 2017, and we are so pleased to have her on our board and here with us today to talk about all things local pride and social media and the Maryland flag. Allie, it's a pleasure to have you with us. Thanks, Nick. I'm so excited to be here, and I appreciate you reaching out to me. So you're sort of a non-traditional preservationist in the sense that, um, you know, you're, you, you don't work in preservation, but at the same time, you work in celebrating Maryland pride. So why don't, before we get into all that, though, where'd you grow up um, and did you always love the Maryland flag? Uh, <laughs> so I grew up, um, I've always been a Marylander and my family's actually been in Maryland since the late 1800s. So um, kind of in my blood, I would say. Um, I grew up in Joppa Town, actually, uh, on uh, on Rumsey Island, so which is ironically a peninsula. I lived on the water. It was great. It was a great place to grow up. And then um, when I was in fifth grade, I moved to Baltimore County. Totally different kind of lifestyle out here, and basically have grown up in Baltimore County. And when I went to University of Maryland, it was just you know a straight shot of just 
full Maryland exposure, I should say. Um, I didn't know much about the history of the flag when I was younger, of course, and, you know, didn't know how to draw the flag. I don't remember in school, you know, having exposure to it. So it kind of evolved as my business evolved, actually. Um, as you know, the the brand evolved from a college-themed brand to state pride as I graduated from University of Maryland. So, Was the goal to be an entrepreneur? Did you think you were going to go to UMD and become... Is that what, what you went no. in thinking you would do? What, what did yeah, you think you would no. do? So I'm a first-generation college student from my immediate family. So my mom and dad um, both didn't pursue a college education when they were of that age. So my mom really encouraged me to go to college just simply because she saw the amount of opportunity um, that I may be able to have just by going. But I didn't really have any clear direction as to what I wanted to do. Um, I, you know, I, I went and she was in finance, so I just chose finance as a degree, but it wasn't my passion. So as a junior, when I was actually bartending, um, the bar that I worked at, um, was extremely popular and give its um, name. Everyone needs to hear the name. (laughs) Thirsty Turtle. The Thirsty Turtle. It had an unfortunate ending. It was forced to shut down Uh like many college bars are that are too popular, but, um, I've always had a knack for design. So, you know, uh, entrepreneurship kind of fell in my lap by accident, I would say. Um, I've always dabbled in like fun little ventures and promoting bands and marketing little things, you know, but, Uh, I really embraced the bar closing as a way to just repivot myself. Um, I made a design, um, you know, exposed it to my social media channels and a product that I thought I could sell 30, I ended up selling 600 in just a couple weeks, which prompted me to make my website and I named it Route One Apparel because, as you know, University of Maryland goes through Route One and I figured if it goes beyond this design, I wanted a generic enough name that I could scale. That was literally, that was all in my head at that moment. So I'm really excited to know that it's still here eight years later. And so, so. how did it jump to then the Maryland flag? What's the origin of that? I mean, because you went from the Thirsty yeah. Turtle, which is right. just a fantastic origin story and a hilarious name. Yeah. Um, and I always make you say it. Um, to... <laughs> To to how did you make the jump to the flag, flag? incorporation? Yeah. yeah, so so it was kind of like just you know um, a mix of listening to my customers and you know they do have the co- same color scheme. Uh, you know, University of Maryland uses the Maryland flag. Um, Thirsty Turtle had the same flag color scheme in it, although they didn't incorporate the flag. So it came in subtle transitions. Um, I always had a direct relationship with my customer. And at the time, it was my peers. It was my fellow college students and a lot of my friends. So I always listened to their feedback. And no offense to the bookstore at that time, but their apparel selection was not really up to par with my liking. Um, You know, I would go in there and want to get a t-shirt for a football game or a tailgate and they at the time just had like basic one color not so great designs so I just started incorporating the flag and color in some of my designs I think the first product we put a flag on was actually sunglasses 
and those went really well. Um, but it wasn't until after I graduated that one of my flag releases went absolutely viral. Now, we probably should have done this to start, but we have a national audience. People listening all across the country. A lot of Marylanders, um, about a third of the audience is Marylanders, but the other two-thirds is all across the country. Um, so m- not everyone may be familiar with the Maryland flag. I would encourage them to go to Route 1 Apparel, and you can see it on every conceivable piece of merchandise you can imagine. <laughs> um, but And you can buy it there, and you should. But if, if And it's maybe difficult to do this, but, but have you ever try to describe the Maryland flag just in, in painting it with words. How would you describe the Maryland flag? What is it if, for people who aren't familiar with it? Well, it is the history of the Calvert and the Crossland family, and that's the flag that they used. And it was also, you know, from, from my brief knowledge of the many, many years of the flag coming to fruition, um, it was they merged together as a union, just like the the country and the state was coming together as a union of differing opinions. So I think it has a very interesting background. Um, now, with that said, thanks for bringing up that there's people from other states and you know maybe even internationally listening. Listening, we as a company have also evolved. Although we do sell mostly Maryland gear, we've also done a lot of custom jobs and white label, private label. So although my home is Maryland and my products represent a lot of that, then, you know, we, we have, we have a lot of for everyone on the site. (laughs) Yeah. And maybe that's a good question. I mean, what I wanted to do is kind of talk about your origin, then talk about Route One Apparel, and then kind of pull this into this broader concept because preservationists and people who, who are trying to preserve place um, are in, in some ways similarly focused in, in celebrating the history of a place, and you've done a really good job of, of matching that. So I want to talk a little bit about that and some lessons for people around the country. But, but to your point about what Route One Apparel is today, so you, you talked about how you started with this product that you thought you'd sell 30, you sold 600, then you put the Maryland flag on sunglasses, and then jump forward eight years, where are you today? How many products are you? What's the, how would you describe the scale of your company now? So we are teetering around 3,000 products right now, actually, uh, about 70 different product categories. I've kind of started getting obsessed with learning how to make more and more and more challenging things. Um, so that's a big part of my business. Um, and so we, we have a vast um, collection of items. We've moved into... I like to say the number because of where we started, but a 14,000-square-foot building. We moved in there, and we're almost out of space, unfortunately. Um, <laughs> but I think that's a good thing. And then That didn't other, take long. How long have you been there? People don't know that. About a, a year. A year. So, so that's yeah, good. Yeah. So it's been great, and, you know, the business has expanded. Like I said, I've always tried to keep a um, pulse on what my customers are wanting because – if they don't like the product, then I'm not going to get paid. So, um, you know, they, they've expressed, you know, expansion into new lines, of course. So we expanded beyond just the generic flag-type items. We also have a lot of cultural icons like crab stuff, which is very popular on the East Coast, particularly Maryland. Um, and then we also have a lot of licensing deals that we have solidly on the site and ones that I'm working on. So Old Bay... National Bohemian, a.k.a. Natty Bo, University of Maryland, of course, my alma mater, 
all are great licensing arrangements that we have, and we have really strong lines with them. So, and it sounds like some, some in the works as well. Mm-hmm. Yep. That's exciting. It does take some time sometimes. <laughs> yeah. Well, there's a, there's just a little bit of a legal hang up in, in getting licensing deals, I'm sure. So let's talk a little bit about the popularity of this, because I think that this speaks to what a lot of preservationists around the country are trying to do. And a lot of people who work in heritage and history and the people who listen to this podcast, which is trying to understand. I mean, you've, you've said this several times, and I think this is important for people who work even in the nonprofit world is listening to your, your constituents, your buyers, um, people who are, who are buying from you. But why in, in, I mean, I'm just curious what you think. Why has this been so popular? I mean, obviously, it's good design, and it's a sleek website, and you know, and it, it's speaking to people love this flag and the kind of the quirky look of it and everything. But is it state pride? Is it history? What, what do you think is behind the success of this so far? Well, I certainly think it's a mix. I think some of the things that you had brought up are definitely contributors of success because you need to have a strong website presence and you need to have an easy navigation and all of those things. But that's just the, the surface. You know what I mean? Then there comes the things that make you have your competencies, the things that make you different than your competition. And that really is hard to define, but if I had to define it, it would be my close relationship I have with our customers we have a very personal relationship with them. They know our story. They know me. They know my team. State Pride is a growing, you know, it's been around forever, but I feel like it's finally starting to become something that, you know, companies are releasing in their products. And if I had to summarize what that feeling is, I think it's just personalization. Um, you know, if, some, if someone had a choice to buy a product um, that is made by, no offense to Walmart, but, you know, a company where they don't know the people who are making it behind them. They might not, you know, compared to a small business. I think people are leaning more and more towards the small business vibe, the personal collection, the family-owned stores, um, because that money is going back into the local economy. And so I think that's a trend. I hate to use the word trend associated with that, but I think people are starting to be more self-aware of where they buy their products, whether it's in a grocery store or a local store, they're questioning where it's coming from. So I think that that has really helped influence the success of my business. And in addition to that, I've always wanted to, whenever I make a new product, I always say, does this have a crave factor? Is this something that would speak to someone? Does it evoke a positive feeling? Does it cause controversy? You know, so I'm trying to always look for products that are uniting people. And I get stories all the time. Someone on vacation in the Bahamas, walking down the beach, wearing a Maryland flag board short. And there happens to be another family on the beach watching them. And they shout to them saying, hey, you're from Maryland, you know. So, and then they make a friend. And so those are the connections that I really like. And although we're an e-commerce business and we're online, I think the word of mouth, the physical, you know, experiences people have while in my clothing, um, that's what helps solidify the growth. So, Allie, not everyone has as cool a flag as Maryland. That's just the sad reality of the situation here. But for people who 
are in states where you know they're working on heritage preservation and 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 history issues, and, and they want to celebrate state pride, but perhaps they don't have as as great a flag as Maryland. What would you say to someone like that? Like, how how would they market that state pride? Sure. Yeah. And first and foremost, I would say if anyone has any ideas for state pride merchandise, feel free to reach out to me and let's collaborate. But you know, beyond that, I said I would say you know my business started not with the intentions of putting the flag on product. You know, it it evolved, and it evolved as I understood the culture and the people I was selling to. Frankly, so. Um, you know, I think with every state, every city, you know, anywhere where people are living for a reason, whatever that reason may be, um, a culture is brought out of that. And I think, you know, especially for a local, they get what the culture is of those places. Uh, and that's what's helped me grow my business. But with that said, it goes beyond the state flag. The state flag is just one identifier of many that define what a place is all about. And unfortunately for some states, they may not have as good of a flag, but they might have a well-known, you know, music festival or a university that they're known for. And so I think that incorporating what it means to be, you know, from that place is important. And it, it, it doesn't it doesn't necessarily mean it's the flag. It could be anything else. So, I mean, obviously that one component is finding what it, what speaks to the culture of that place and, and what is a value there. But, but then there's also the whole like marketing this, communicating this and getting this message out. Now, obviously you guys have done a fantastic job with social media and I want to talk a little bit about that um, and sort of your, your guide to, to social media. So let's talk about like your biggest successes. Like what, what do you feel like really works on social media um, and what would you encourage or, or suggest to others who are kind of getting into this or really trying to tell a story on social media? Sure. Yeah. I mean, um, I've always been addicted to finding the gaps in how to leverage social media in like unique ways. Um, you know, before I ever paid for a Facebook ad, I had 60,000 60, followers on social media. So, you know, I had a strong audience before Facebook started implementing the things that are hurting small businesses today. But with that said, you know, when I got my first design, um, the, you know, jer- the jersey, the T-shirt for the bar, uh, I actually made a Facebook event. At the time, you know, I knew this from, you know, promoting, you know, events at the bar, actually. You can, you could have inserted a code into your browser and it would auto invite all of your friend group to the event. Um, back then as well, you just needed to be invited to an event to get a message on Facebook. So I had a bunch of my friends who I deemed as people that, you know, had strong groups of friends in different areas of University of Maryland um, to use that code. And that's how initially the first product of mine went viral. Um, You know, 5,000 people had requested a shirt before we even had it in stock through the Facebook event. So it was little things like that, that um, just kind of the loopholes that I used to get larger exposure. Um, You know, and as we grew, um, I was always taking photos and Photoshopping them, uh, you know, with crazy backgrounds and things to just catch people's eye. Looking back, it's the funniest photos, but just, you know, getting people's attention. And then I would say as I grew, I did a lot of like, Uh, cross 
collaborations with other brands. I did a lot of like and share contests and some other things that just helped encourage free products to give away. And that might be the hardest thing for some people is to give their product away for free because you, when you're small, especially when you're small, you just see the, the expense of that. But those are the kinds of things that help, help grow your fan base. And if you ask them things like, you know, hey, are you willing to share a photo of you in this product once you receive it? Most people are very, very willing to do that because they also think they're going to win something down the road. So, and they want to follow your instructions. So, so that's the good stuff. That that's the good stuff. And that's the stuff that works. And I think that's a lot of really good information. What are the biggest flops? What is the, what's the stuff that you're, you thought was going to work and then now you're just like, oh my God, I can't believe we did that. Or please, you know, if you're listening to me, don't ever do this. <laughs> well, the beauty about social media is the majority of things are erasable. You know, um, <laughs> if you catch things that <laughs> the, 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 if you catch things at the right time and it's backfiring, you can just do a quick delete. Um, I would say, you know, there, there have been some instances. I have a, a large design team. I have about 15 designers that I work with. And part of my growth is I can't, I can't personally oversee the design and production of all of the products that we have that we're working on. So I've had a couple experiences of some of my designers, whether it was, you know, totally, totally their idea or they were inspired by something being a little bit too similar to something already on the market. And I didn't do my due diligence to research that before it went out. Um, but I think honesty above anything else is the most important thing. Um, so, you know, when we had an instance of a design looking really similar to another design of a, another brand that I actually had no idea existed, we were just like, we didn't know we're going to delete it. See you later. You know? And then most of the time it, it's, it's, it's really okay. Um, and then, you know, there's been a couple other flops related to mostly just like putting an investment in a product that didn't work out. Um, you know, I, I established my business on pre-orders. So as I evolved, pre-orders started to get a little bit too annoying to manage. So I just started funding projects and then, you know, it's a whole different kind of ball game because, a lot of the times you're buying this product and waiting a month or so for it to come in and start to sell. And so you have less of a window for promotional opportunities for that item, you know, pre-ordering it for a discount. Um, and that, that can be a little scary, especially if when the product comes in, it's not so popular. So I've had some of those. Yeah. So, and I guess the other, the other question here too, which I think would be instructive for nonprofits, which is, you know, it's easy to get social media, well, not easy, but it, you, you can get social media followers and you get people to like, and you can do that kind of thing. Converting them if you're a nonprofit to donor is difficult. Converting them, I would imagine if you're a for-profit to buyer is difficult. What's your best conversion strategy? What, what, do you have any sort of tips on conversions? Well, uh, not just about conversion, but where you're going to put things to convert them. So, you know, I've, I've actually chatted with a lot of nonprofits and I go on their website and they don't even have a sign up button for their email list on their website. Or, you know, when you sign up, you don't get a thank you email. Um, so I think especially for a lot of nonprofits who are trying to inform 
their customer about what they do, how people can help, all of those things. Having those key areas on your site for people to opt in is incredibly important. And then having what they call an automated flow email. So once someone opts in, two to three emails, they call it a welcome series um, of, you know, just whatever you want to say that gets people up to speed on what you're working on, how they can help, what you do, all of those things is very, very important. And actually, I, I do some branding and some product development for some nonprofits, and that's one of the biggest things I notice. They don't have that. Very important. <laughs> so yeah, so email email conversion and, and just conversion, not trying to make the sale, but just trying to let them know about what you do. Mm-hmm. Exactly. So where's we've 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 heard a little bit about the business and sort of diversification and all the product lines and different states. Where's the future of Rootland Apparel? Where can uh, where can we expect to see you in the next eight years? So you know, I I have there's so much room to grow and expand so much. Um, you know, I've been doing this for eight years, uh, six years out of college. And so I have a lot of projects I'm working on. Um, you know, I, I hate to use the word millennial, but I am one. So I'm always wanting to change, um, some things to make things different. I don't like staying in the same, you know, playing field and spectrum so I'm, I'm just trying to enhance everything from internal stuff to external stuff. I'm interviewing, um, you know, for, you know, more executive level positions within my company. Um, I'm trying to figure out what things I can automate. I'm always self-reflecting on, you know, what are my company's core competencies? What am I the best at? Um, and then outsourcing the rest, essentially. Um, that's how I'll have to continue to grow, um, I'm always trying to say I have to work, you know, on my business, not in my business. I'm sure you hear that a lot. <laughs> and so I'm just working on all those things. I do see plans to expand other states, but I just want to invest in the backbone of what made my business successful this far so that I'm not targeting the wrong audiences and, you know, doing things the wrong way once I expand because it's going to be more unfamiliar territory, stuff I'm not as comfortable with. So, but as you said before, if, uh, as you said before, if, uh, if someone out there listening wants to get involved in state pride, they should give you a call, even if they are in Nebraska and they don't have the best flag. Yeah. I mean, if they have, especially if they have an idea, I mean, I, I do get a lot of people wanting to start businesses, reaching out to me and what I like to tell them, this is kind of funny, but I had a buddy of mine when I was, um, starting my business and I needed a mentor. I saw this guy in school who um, had started a couple successful companies and I took him out to lunch and I said, I really want to pick your brain and see what, how you did it. And he said, you know, honestly, Google. And I got so offended because I was like, you know, how dare you tell me just to Google it. But frankly, like Googling is helps solve a lot of your <laughs> your problems. But, um, you know, yeah, uh, with, with entrepreneurship, I would say it's, it's very important to solidify your idea, but then also be willing to change and pivot if something were to change in the industry or the economy, because that's what entrepreneurship is all about. True successful entrepreneur, entrepreneurs may have started their business with a totally different industry and wound up somewhere else. So yeah, if anyone has like a state pride idea, 
willing to collaborate on it, if you don't have a true focus yet, I would just say really start journaling and researching and finding out how to enter into the market first. Um, because that, you know, in order for you to collaborate with other people, you first need to have a very solid vision for yourself. Well, this has been fantastic interview, fantastic conversation, a lot of vision. Before we depart here, the question we ask everyone on PreserveCast, your favorite historic site or place? This was a tough question for me because, you know, I do do a lot of traveling all across the state, both for being on the tourism board on Preservation Maryland and, you know, for my business. But, you know, if I had to scrape it all away and say something that really means a lot to me that also has historical roots, I'd have to say my grandparents' house. They live in Franklinville, Maryland, and their house is over 200 years old. And they recently had the old owner's great-great-grandkids stop through that had all of these old pictures of the building um, from, you know, the mid-1800s before my family even was in, you know, Maryland. So, um, it has so much history. You know, they put this, uh, they put this, uh, you know, deck on the back at one point and discovered that there was like a civil war, <laughs> civil war burial ground for the horses <laughs> somewhere on their property, like crazy stuff. So that's kind of morbid, but, um, <laughs> um, they have a 50 acre farm and it's just such a beautiful place. If you've ever seen the Patriot, the movie, it's like those buildings. And so I go there and I just feel like I'm living in a different world. Um, and it actually has inspired me in a lot of ways. A fantastic answer and a very personal one and a great way to conclude the interview. Allie, it's always a pleasure to talk with you. Great to hear about all the good work you're doing. Appreciate the information and the insight and uh, look forward to seeing the next 3,000 designs. Yeah, exactly. Thank you so much for the opportunity, Nick. I appreciated you asking me all these questions, and I look forward to seeing you soon. Thanks for listening to PreserveCast. To dig deeper into this episode's show, notes, and all previous episodes, visit PreserveCast.org. You can also find us online at Facebook and Twitter at PreserveCast. This program was supported by the Historic Preservation Education Foundation. PreserveCast is produced by Preservation Maryland in Baltimore City. Thanks again for your support, and remember to keep preserving.